Hello and welcome to this, the 29th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And thanks to that support, each week we can bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to go and support Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the easiest way for you to go and do that is to simply go and buy yourself some tickets to a theatre show near you. Now, if tickets are slightly outside your reach this week, or this month, maybe check out a crowdsourcing website, a fundit.ie, an Indiegogo, one of those ones. There are always great rewards in return for your support over there, and donations often start from as low as a fiver. But there are ways, of course, that you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or a pint, or maybe while you're walking to a polling station to vote today for the big referendum for the day that's in it. Please get out there, please vote. Uh, of course, you can share the link as a Facebook post, or you can retweet the link over on Twitter. Do please subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes if you're an iTunes user, but of course they are streamable and available for direct download at the riseproductions.ie website. Go back and listen to all the episodes in this second series and maybe even check out the 52 episodes from our first series. They are still there for your delight and delectation. You can leave us a review on iTunes uh, or you can simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system. That is a one-click deal. It doesn't take too much out of your day. And as ever, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it's been another busy week here for us here at Rise Towers. We have been on the road. We were down at the Hawkswell in Sligo, one of my favourite venues to go to, because not only is the Fight Night poster still up on the wall there backstage, but also uh, a poster of a production of The Dresser with my mum in it from a long way back with Alan Stanford and Des Kyo and all kinds of great people. So it always feels like a bit of a homecoming going back to the Hawkswell. And then, of course, back to the Civic in Tallow, which has been so good to us back here uh, for a three-night run. Really great to be back here. Crowds have been so into the show. I mean, you know, it was sold out every night last time around and standing ovations and last night we kicked off straight back into standing ovations again so it feels like a real nice homecoming and so look that brings us to our guest this week who is none other than one of my best mates in the business the brilliant Gemma Reeves Gemma is a phenomenal human being for starters but also someone who's had a really interesting route through the business you look at Gemma who grew up in such an incredibly theatrical family then breaking into the business in the early stages and her route through the through her career and through the industry is just phenomenal I love her to bits I've had the great pleasure and joy of working with her quite a few times over the years and uh, I think her story is fantastic so look let's get straight into it here she is the brilliant Gemma Reeves the wonderful Gemma Rachel Reeves in the house how the hell are you I'm really well thank you Um, who christened you Gemma Rachel Reeves I believe it was a young man named Angus Og McAnally he's the most handsome actor you've ever yeah oh I was going to say that yeah absolutely um, yes, he christened me Gemma Rachel Reeves. Why did your parents hate you so much as to not give you a middle name? Because they hated me enough to give me a double-barreled name, oh so they Lord. decided not to go even worse. They had used up their allocation of syllables? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was Gemma Reeves Erskine, Yes. and they figured it would be cruel to add anything to that. Yes. Um, and then when I went to school, uh, children were already mean enough to bully me for the double barrel, so okay. I then backtracked 
and went with Reeves. So I Interesting. used Reeves. Interesting. I like it. Yeah. Um, well, let us talk about the Erskines and the Reeves yes. then. The house that you grew up in is yeah. quite an interesting house. Yes, the circus that I grew up in. Tell me a little bit about what life was like for <laughs> young Gemma Rachel Reeves. Um, oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was really lovely. I was really privileged because I grew up in a theatre family, as you did. And um, that meant I was surrounded by really mad people and really brilliant people and really warm, funny, just, yeah, a fantastic group of people that I kind of grew up with, whether that be obviously my family, but then the extended family of theatre folk that my parents paraded around the house. Are there standout characters from, like, eight-year-old Gemma's life? Um, I We were very close to Catherine Byrne and John Olihan and their kids. Um, uh, the Kavanaghs would be very good friends as well. John and Anne would have been around a lot, so I'd be very close to them. Uh, the amazing Rupert Murray uh, was one of my dad's best friends, and his daughter Rachel is still one of my best friends, who I adore. But Rachel and I grew up together. So um, as you can imagine, with a lot of actors' children, there was a lot of little plays put on, a lot of fashion shows. Yes, there was a lot of nonsense. Did either of your parents ever achieve any success in the business of show business? <laughs> um, yes. Can we talk yeah. about that? Come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yes, um, yeah, well, yes, my mum obviously was an actor and a fantastic actor, um, and all my like really clear early memories would be watching her from the wings and being in dress rooms with her. Um, uh, like very early on, when I was like four or five, she did a couple of years of the Gaiety pantomime. And that was the highlight of my childhood. Absolutely. Because nothing was cooler than that. My dad was Dick Whittington at one stage. No way! Oh, that's the greatest of all time. Those things make a big difference. Big time. Big time. Like, they can be in the Abbey and then you're like, yeah, but... Don't mind that bullshit. Yeah, you know, but she deal. was an ugly sister, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so she was an ugly sister. And she was the Sultana in... Eminently Sensible. Aladdin. Of course. Which I'm presuming is a play on the Sultan. I would presume so. Let's presume so. And, uh, and it's funny because I think even then I knew, like I have a really clear memory of sitting on a chair in the wings of the gaiety watching my mum and knowing that there were other children in the audience watching her. Yes. And I remember that really clearly kind of understanding that I was in a really special place, that I was getting to see something they didn't get to see. And like I was really starstruck by like Jacinta White was playing the princess and I adored her and I adored her clothes. and. I have a memory of there being a horse in the panto, which I cannot confirm. I don't know if that is made up, but I think there was a horse and then I met him. Like a real horse? Yeah, and I fed Not him a carrot. Not a horse? No, 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 a real white horse that I fed a carrot to. Amazing. But I cannot guarantee that I didn't make that up. Listen, that's fine too. Yeah. Did you have any jealousy of having to share your mummy with those other children in the audience? So we're getting straight into the therapy part of this. Oh, well, listen, I, look, it's who are you talking to? Yeah. <laughs> um, I... No, because I think I understood that I was getting more of her. Ah, yes, now we're talking. You know what I mean? Um, and I was really chuffed that kids liked her. Um, uh, but having said that, like, there, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say it's hard when your parents an actor because it's so important that they go and perform every night. So in a situation where you might not, you know. I don't know, be feeling well, or you might want your mom around. You also have to resign yourself to the fact that at six o'clock she's leaving the house, and yeah. she's leaving the house no matter what. Now, having said that, my mom was great, and that she would she brought us with her a lot. We were around the work a lot, but um, yeah, it also meant that I had to accept that. So I don't know. I don't know if that gave me a massive um, complex, which I might just be ignoring, <laughs> or it made me a really open, sharing person. I don't know. Um, given that. 
the wonderful Anita Reeves was as successful as she was. Yeah. Like in terms of some of those big highlight shows, mm-hmm. do, are there moments from that that stand out for you? Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing the dress rehearsal of Dancing at Lunasa, and someone explained to me that I was the first member of the public to see it. Wow. And I was eight, but I remember that. I remember, really? yeah, I remember. And it was only because I was there, because yeah. she brought me to a lot of these things. And I was in the it was audience. Than the exactly, child like exactly, you get it. Um, and yes, yeah, someone said to me, you know, you're the first member of the public to see it. And I remember that. I remember understanding that was a big deal. And I know she did a lot of shows in London as well. So, like, we'd go over, she'd be in the West End. Um, she did a couple of O'Casey's there. She did Juno and Plough at some point in the 90s in the West End. On the West End? In the West End? In the West Around End. Around the West End. Somewhere in the West End. <laughs> and, um, and I remember that being a big deal. I remember thinking that was kind of cool that my mum was away working. Yeah. But there's the other side of that, which was... Your other, mum was away working. Exactly. Like, other kids were going home to have their dinners made for them, and I wasn't. But, like, that's... Sorry, I'm like a slave job. I was going home and cooking for myself. I wasn't cooking for myself. But... Going up chimneys to sweep Yeah. Oh, yeah. To, like to make money. Sure. Yes. Um, but... Um, no, I, I, I understood it as an exciting thing as well. Was your dad ever involved in any successful shows? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. So my, da- my dad actually does have a really interesting story. I think my dad is a real like example of how the theatre community, when you enter it, can look after you for your, you know, your entire life. Maybe not financially, but certainly in terms <laughs> of uh, work. Like my dad, my dad started as a tea boy. He literally made tea for actors at like 14 in Kilkenny. Amazing. And like just went from there after his leaving cert, worked backstage, became stage manager, uh, crewing, was very involved with the ITC when the ITC would be touring. Yes, indeed. Is that where the connection with John Oliver starts? Yes, that okay. all of that gang, they would have all worked together then. Joe Dowling, all yeah. those people who'd be very close to my parents. Um, and and then he just kind of moved for, I think he was a lighting designer at one point, And then he had a set building company um, and then became an independent producer. and. Riverdance is just one of those things, like once in a lifetime, lightning in a bottle, no one else gets that lucky. He was working on the Eurovision. So right, he, okay. he was working on the Eurovision. I don't know what his, I don't know what he was doing, production manager or something. And because Riverdance was the interval show, when it went into full production, my dad came on as, I, I don't, again, I don't know what his title was then. He's chief executive producer now, but he's been with it for 22 years, I guess. let's say. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with decades. So, yeah, so, I mean, we just got to be one of the rare theatre families where my dad had an actual career and a living and a comfortable living, which also allowed my mum then to to really follow her heart and do the work she wanted to do. Because my mum was terrible for, like she'd go for a film audition and and I know of more than one occasion where she in the audition room suggested an actor who'd be better for the part she was auditioning for she was terrible as only Anita Cruz. I know like she'd go in and she'd be like do you know Breach Brennan she would be marvellous <laughs> um, so she talked to herself about lots of good paying gigs and she wanted to do theatre and her whole thing was like you know, she'd read a script, and especially in the last couple of years where she would, you know, be offered work and she could really pick and choose. Of course. She was like, if there's one line in it I want to say, I, I'm interested. And, and, it, and it was that simple for her. It was like something would catch her ear. And, and similarly, she would turn down really big parts and really exciting projects if it didn't speak to her, if there was nothing she felt that she wanted to say. Now, obviously, you're going to think she's awesome because yeah. she's your mummy. Yes. She was a fucking incredible actress, yeah. though. Her timing, her comedy, yeah. her generosity in a rehearsal room, yeah. everything about her was just 
Like, there was no show that wasn't improved by having Anita Reeves in the cast. Well, I think she was a natural in that way, and I think it was interesting when she and I would talk, when I was still an actor and she and I talk about it, because we had very different approaches. And I remember one day we were talking about the audience, and I was talking about, because I was quite an anxious actor, and my mum was like, oh, but, you know, when you walk out, do you not immediately feel that warmth? Do you not immediately know they're your friends? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I realised that that was a reality for her. Yeah. She felt... But, but and that it was obviously a two-way thing it was her it was them and she did this amazing thing she kind of orchestrated her audience and it was an amazing thing to watch um you know she, and you, you could see I, like I grew to, I, I learned the things she was doing I can never really replicate them in the same way but like she would do a thing especially in comedy where like a laugh is building and my mom wouldn't want them to laugh until she really wanted them to laugh and she'd just do something like she might like move her arm uh, so that she's delaying the laugh and then drop the arm and there's the laugh and you could just see her like conducting them like she was telling them what to do and they adored her see, that's the level of skill and I guess experience as well just having clocked up the flying hours that she had yeah. but that's the level that really intrigued me and it's just that always fascinated me about, about working with her and seeing her mm. work her magic um, and funnily enough it ties back into my pro wrestling obsession <laughs> that there's like when, when pro wrestlers really get to the top of the game they know when they want the crowd to pop yes. and they know that you can't if you bring them up too sorry, early sorry I'm saying yes like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about no, yes, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. same principle you can't bring them up too early because you know if you start a match at 11 where are you sure. going to go so it is that thing you conduct the you, bring, you, you you kind of like you say orchestrate the experience for them mm. um, I remember the last time I saw your mum on stage was in Little Jim yeah. that she was doing with Kate Gilmore and I saw it in the Viking, and when I met her afterwards, she went, I knew there was a pro in. She said, really? She, she, she said, I'm so glad you were here. I knew, I said, from the moment she walked on stage, she knew it wasn't a standard theatre audience of just all. She knew there okay. was someone else in, which is kind of the weirdest <laughs> thing to say, but I think she was that finely tuned yes, she was. to an audience that she went, oh, hang on, there's someone laughing in particular places yeah. here. And now, obviously, my laugh is obnoxious and loud, so it's hard to avoid. <laughs> it may just have been that. She's got, I knew there was a yeah, problem. She, she loved her audience. She absolutely loved them. And then what was amazing was she also played, she played Mina in Sive in the yeah. Abbey. Like, I all, she, she played Kate in Lunasa years after having originated Maggie. Wow. So, like, she, she was, she had great range. I think she, parts like Maggie were really in her DNA in the same way that that role in Little Gem. But, like, she had, she just had an amazing skill. So, mm. then the kids in your house yeah. also ended up going down this crazy route, too. It, we're, it's so ridiculous, because I think both Danny and I, like, I think other people develop, like, an interest in theatre, and Danny and I, like, desperately tried to develop a disinterest in theatre. <laughs> like, because I think both of us were kind of kicking and screaming on the way into the industry. Oh. And it's weird. It Like, I hate that thing of, like, being bitten by the bug. It's such a horrible cliche, but... It's a weird thing. It is in your bones, and and it's so embedded, I think, in both Danny and my sense of community because that's yeah. the community we grew up in. That both of us have found ourselves, and I'm like, I, I've had such a weird journey through theatre, um, but I also feel like the community in the industry um, kind of encourages people to change and grow. And like, yeah. I'm very lucky. I did. You know, it's not an industry that's like, no, this is what you do, and that's that. Yeah. Whereas I have felt like, um, in my very circuitous route to get to where I am, I felt very supported along the way. Uh, Sorry, that's a, that didn't really answer your question. No, at it's all. fine. Does it, do you feel that kind of that 
you and Danny split that Danny has gone down more your dad's route and you mm. go down your mom's route? Yeah, initially. I yeah. mean, and the funny thing is Danny is much more of a natural performer. Danny really? should be an actor. Danny is the funniest person I've ever met. Okay. Does the best impressions you will ever see. He's hilarious um, and is great with people. Whereas I'm shy and anxious. And, and we just, it was bizarre because Danny went backstage and initially I went on stage. Um, yeah, he's much more comfortable with that stuff. He's a performer. That's but uh, yeah, I, do, I don't think there was any particular reason why Danny... Because it most certainly seems like he followed Dad's footsteps, yeah. but I don't think that was... There was any reason for that. Tell me then about the early days of you having fought against it then, falling into the business. Yeah. Well, I, I... So when I did my Leaving Cert, I was determined not to go to drama school, partly out of fear that, you know, I wouldn't get in, and partly because everyone said oh, will we be seeing you up there with your mammy? And and I just couldn't, like, I'm not a very rebellious person, but the part of me that is rebellious was like, I'm not doing that because everyone's assuming that's what I'm going to do. Um, so initially, I went to study philosophy in Trinity because that's Nerd. such an obvious thing to do. Nerd. Yeah. Um, and that was a disaster because it's <laughs> philosophy. Um, no, it was a disaster because... I was denying the fact that I desperately wanted to work in theatre. So I got a job that first summer, I got a job uh, working as an ASM. So I worked with Bespoke Theatre Company, yes. which is Jane Brennan and Alison McKenna's company. Was this the drunkard? Uh, no, this was before. This was Electra in the project. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Jane playing Electra. Yes, of course. Frank McGuinness, his adaptation, and he directed it. So I was an ASM, I was 18, and it was my first summer of my college year. Um, and, and I'm going to say bitten by the bug. I can't believe I'm saying it twice. I hate it any time. Makes you a bad person. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, uh, I, 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 could, I adored it. I loved it. So I worked as an ASM for two years. And then what happened, and now we're going to bring Lynn Parker into there the story. Um, I was ASM on another bespoke show, The Drunkard, which had a, like this fantastic run. It was like Dublin, Galway, Cork, and then the Olympia. Yeah. And I was ASM, and there was a crowd scene. This is my 42nd Street story. There was a crowd scene, and I got to go on, because they just needed bodies on stage, basically. But I got to be in a scene where there was choreography, and there was a song. And um, and I was, yeah, I, like so excited by playing this wordless, nameless person. And, um, and what came from that was that was a Tom Murphy adaptation, and Tom was casting for his adaptation of The Cherry Orchard in the Abbey. Patrick Mason directing and I got an audition based based on on the drunkard and I got the part and so it 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 was really it's funny because it's I'm sure you experienced this as well you can't avoid that thing of of feeling like oh my am I going to get work because of my parents and will people think I got work because well, exactly, of my parents yeah. which is really crap and I think that was one of the things that I was reluctant about as well I was like I don't want everyone to assume this was handed to me and actually what was lovely about doing two years of working backstage, I didn't feel like that. I kind of felt like I had an old fashioned training into the yeah. business actually. Because I, I, back in the day, you know, there was much more of that, much more people yeah. kind of understudying ASM, moving yeah, into it. Yeah, but also I think there's, a, there's an element of, again, back to pro wrestling, Jesus Christ, that's, you've done bitten by the world of pro wrestling yeah. okay, so we're quits. Um, but that thing, the, the concept of paying your dues, uh, and you know the guys that travel around just building the ring for two years mm. before they're finally let into referee and then work a match. Right. And I think there is something in serving your time like an apprenticeship yeah. whether that is two or three years of drama school or two years backstage yes. or whatever that yeah. you go I'm here for the long haul I'll do yeah. the long hours I'll you know but you also develop an appreciation for, for what other people are doing yeah. you know and you understand the work that goes into pre-production and you understand um, that the company is wider than the actors on the stage 
And I, there were things that I had on a checklist, having been there, where I was like, I'm never going to do that to someone. I'm never going to talk like that to someone. You know, that didn't happen to me a lot now, but little things like that. And yeah. then with the cherry orchard, I mean, it was still uh, terrifying because I didn't have training. This is the other thing. Like, it's a big, like now people are coming out of the Lear, they're coming out of the Gaiety. Um, no, I mean, obviously there was the there was Trinity course yeah. then as well, but I did feel very inexperienced and I did okay. feel... I did feel that I was lacking, um, lacking training. Did you? Were you surprised then that shit kicked off for you as good and as big as it did, as quickly as it did? Yeah, yeah, I did, and I was, I was very aware of it. Okay. I was aware that it was a kind of a ridiculous trajectory. Yeah. Um, and what was brilliant was uh, not so. Uh, I was in the Abbey, and then I got a smaller part in the Gate, which was brilliant. And then Druid Singh happened, and Druid Singh was became kind of like the drama school. Yeah, of course. You know, because Druid Singh meant working with amazing people like Marie Mullen and Eamon Morrissey for stars and Mick Lally. Um, but also because we were doing the eight shows, you spent a lot of time watching. You know? well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Six shows? I, a hundred shows, I felt eight like. Sounded. It's a lot of shows. <laughs> I think it was six. Was not, I, no, I maybe. Like eleven. One, I think it was six. I think it was six. I think it was eight hours and six shows. Oh, that could Does that be sound right. right? Yeah, that sounds closer. Okay. I don't remember my numbers. Yeah, it was a long. It was a long day. It was a long. It was day. a great day, but it was a long. It day. was, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was amazing because that was being able to sit back, watch, uh, see what other people were doing, and that was a bit of a trial by fire because you know I, I was doing I was playing Deirdre and Deirdre to the Sorrows, which is not an easy play, mm-hmm. um, and I was young and inexperienced. And it is an unfinished play, so it's a little bit like going on stage every night, halfway through rehearsals, in a way, you know, and you yeah. can't, you almost want to kind of explain that to the audience, you almost want to go, we're doing this to serve the playwright because we're doing his body of work and this sure. is part of the body of work, but it is, it was kind of, anyway, sorry, that's rambling. No, that's not rambling but, but that was brilliant and we got to travel with it and it just meant that I, yeah, I feel like I kind of, um, yeah, got a bit more experience under my belt with Druid Singh. So then, like, big, proper leading roles start rolling around. Yeah. The likes of Barry the Thieves at yes, the Peacock with yes, incredibly, incredibly brilliant actors yes. in it. Or indeed playing fucking Juliet yeah. on The National. Again, with great, great <laughs> actors in the cast. Uh, you were very fortunate in your sports. I was. I was. Um, but, <laughs> amazing, I love it. Uh, did you feel... How did you feel about getting these big, cracking parts early yeah. on? Um, God, I mean, they were kind of... They were dream parts. Juliet was a dream part. Um, I had, the Crucible was another one that I'd always wanted to do. And when I auditioned for the Crucible, I had I brought my script that I had had when I was like fourteen. Absolute nerd. What's and I had wrong with highlighted you? the lines, but I all, but I also had highlighted um, uh, like I had a, the thing with Juliet as well. And I, I it was amazing. I mean, if I, I'm looking back at it now and I'm kind of thinking, did I appreciate it? Maybe I didn't. If I'm being honest, because. Okay because I hadn't really done the fringe thing. I hadn't really done that side of, of the industry. So for a little while there, I was in this kind of make-believe world of you work in the Abbey now. Um, so I don't know if I appreciated it. I, I most certainly, it did, it did some damage to my confidence because I also always had a niggling feeling of, do I deserve to be at this level? Do okay. I deserve to be playing these parts? So yeah, it probably had somewhat of a negative effect. But I don't, I, it's kind of looking back now that it seems like this whirlwind of, yeah. of amazing opportunity that I, I maybe didn't appreciate then. Was Romeo the only time you and your mom worked together? Yes. Yeah. How special was that? It was really special. I mean, like, so yeah. the, the nurse Julia combo. <laughs> yes. Is like, come on, that's amazing casting. 
It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's deadly. We shared a dressing room. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lovely, obviously having lost her so soon, it's one of those things that now, I'm like, thank God yeah. that got to happen, thank God I got to work with her. And I was as in awe of her as everyone else was, you know, it didn't, being her daughter didn't stop me. Do you feel that you might have been equally as in awe of me when we were working together? More so. More so. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to say, but more I nearly so. cut straight face. More so. Um, we even did movies together. We were brother and sister. Yeah, we did. Were we technically boyfriend and girlfriend in Bury the Thieves? Yeah, we were engaged. Do you not remember the storyline? It's just we never got through any smooching, so I just no, feel, we weren't I feel on stage very, together. I feel very let down. By I that. think we were engaged and brother and sister in Pride and Joy. Oh yeah, we've got we've done the full gamut. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> um, okay, so here you are playing leading roles in the National Theatre, yeah. left, right, and centre. This is amazing for my ego. This conversation is because you have to know I haven't been working as an actor for nearly eight years, so my ego is underdeveloped oh, at this well, point. My, it's, I need there. to be nourished. And this is amazing. Watch me nourish. <laughs> Yay! So you're playing these lead roles <laughs> in the National Theatre. Yeah. You're doing the Tudors. You're doing movies with me. Okay, let's a bit of let them. But whatever you're doing, movies. <laughs> um, and then the decision comes that actually I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Can you talk to me about that decision process? Yeah, it was a really long process. It really was. Like, it was a couple of years. Um, and, like, I've already spoken about being an anxious actor. That played a part in it. Um, but I also... I, I had this weird feeling where I was like, this is all I've done. This is um, a world I grew up in. I had never done anything else. I worried that I lacked the passion and the confidence uh, to 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 kind of manage the rocky waters that actors have to manage and I knew I was I knew I was in a very lucky position I knew that that wasn't going to last forever as well like I was 28 when I finished is that right no that would make me like 52 now and I'm not 52 I can't remember so I am. at some point in your twenties. <laughs> at some point in my twenties, um, and I, I just initially it was like, this doesn't, this isn't feeling right. I'm, I was nervous a lot. I was very anxious about what would happen next. I was very anxious about not having control over my life, um, and initially it was like, what if I take a couple of years out, and see how that feels, um, and to kind of test myself a little bit. And I knew, because of the way the theatre works, I knew if needs be, I could probably put my tail between my legs and come back to people and say, listen, terrible mistake. Um, but it was a weird thing. It was like, it was a combination of um, of not, of kind of looking around me and looking at my friends who were so passionate about what they were doing. And there were days where I was like, I really want to be at home. I don't actually want to be here. Um, there were weddings of friends I was like I can't go it's a Saturday there's a matinee and I just realised it wasn't even that that was bothering me it was that I was looking around going this isn't bothering other people and I'm quite resentful that I don't have um, a kind of control over my own life stupid things like control over my own body where I was like I was so sick of freaking out that I had a cold. I was so sick of freaking out if I had a spot on my face because I was like, we have a photo shoot. And, and I had this weird thing where I was like, I just want to feel what it might feel like to let go of that anxiety, to let go of that um, that lack of control. And so I, I, I went and did a college degree. I did a degree in psychology, um, which was three years. Um, and I, I kind of thought, right, at some point I might go back. And what happened was I left and it was hard to leave. It was hard to leave because I love actors. I love the theatre. 
and I did this weird thing I, I can't kind of became a hermit like I, I those three years I really stepped back like I didn't go to see theatre I didn't I kind of engage in it in any way to test to, sorry this is so silly it probably sounds so silly but I just wanted to see what it would feel like yeah. and and it was fine I survived I really enjoyed a sense of not putting myself out there I, I, I didn't feel as raw anymore I didn't feel as afraid anymore um, but also what happened was I, I realised that the things I missed were the people I missed being in dressing rooms I missed the crack um, and the, the other things that I missed were more kind of ego driven I, I, I missed the attention I missed like obviously being applauded is a lovely thing um, but I had to kind of recognise that and go that's ego I'm not missing the work I'm not missing you know the audience relationship so I thought why would you be an actor if those you know those are yeah. the things that you need to be driven by um, I'll check that we can keep this in because you've said this to me before off mic so I uh-uh. but you once said to me that if acting was only the creation of work in a rehearsal room yeah. you might have stuck with because I loved rehearsals I loved rehearsals. I still to this day think that is the best thing you can do. So I think a lot of actors will go, that's, that, like you say, the, yeah. the ego-driven stuff, the, the applause, the recognition, yeah, the yeah. being out there uh, is a big motivating factor for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the idea that there's, it's almost a little more pure and sure. noble to say that you enjoyed the creation of the work, uh, the investigation. I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoyed it because I, I really enjoyed the fun of it. I enjoyed the fun of working with other people and I and I enjoyed the psychology of it which is actually in some way was satisfied by doing the psychology degree because I was really interested in people's motivation in the character um, and even I'll go a step further than saying I loved rehearsals I loved the first week of rehearsals I loved being around the table okay you know I loved especially on a new play being around a table the conversation the discussion and my stomach would turn sometimes when the director would say right we're going to put it on its feet tomorrow I'd be like no let's just talk <laughs> Um, which again just goes to show you that I was not in the right profession um, or the, the right area yes. of this, this profession. Tell me then about the time spent doing the psychology degree. I mean yeah. at that point did you think you were going to become a psychologist maybe? Yeah, yeah. See I'm ridiculous. Uh, I, I kind of in the moment I think many things. So during that college degree I thought I was going to be a psychoanalyst. So I really fell in love with psychoanalysis. It was my favourite module. Is this Freud territory? Yeah, this is Freud territory, okay. Freud, Lacan. Um, and when I finished the degree, I, I applied for a master's and got a place in a master's and then did another mad thing, which is within like a day of that decision, I applied for an internship in the O'Reilly Theatre. And that, that I, because I saw an ad on Facebook for an internship in the O'Reilly as a, like a theatre assistant or I do, it was assistant general manager, I don't know how it was worded. And it was bizarre. It was like an amazing moment of gut instinct. I saw the ad and I thought, it was like I couldn't admit that I really missed theatre and I couldn't admit that I was right not to be an actor, but I actually hadn't found what I was potentially going to do for the rest of my life. And I saw the ad and I went for it and I I ended up doing an internship in the O'Reilly, which turned into a full-time job in the O'Reilly, and fell in love with... Uh, not, I mean, I was going to say arts administration. It's like hard to describe those jobs. Like venue management is very different again. But what I really was excited about was being back in the theatre in a different place, but kind of going, oh, actually, this is fulfilling my desire to be around these people. I'm facilitating theatre makers. I can still have these conversations, but I'm not putting myself on a stage at night. I don't feel that danger of critique. I don't feel that I'm waiting for a phone to ring for someone to give me a job. 
and um, and I actually I really enjoyed the nine to five thing, which I didn't expect. Yeah. I enjoyed going home at the end of the day and not thinking about work. I enjoyed having a glass of white wine on a sunny day at six and not rushing to a theatre <laughs> and not being able to have a glass of wine. Obviously, I'm not having a glass of wine. I, uh, you, I never drank it when I was working. Not back glass of wine. Anyway. <laughs> to <laughs> that was not my technique. Um, and I enjoyed Saturdays and I went to weddings and I was like, actually, it just suited me better. And I felt a calm and a kind of a mental health I hadn't felt before, a lack of anxiety, um, hard work, but just a different type of work. And it, it was really suited me. Was it, was it just that the anxiety had gone away or was mm. it also that you found that you that the peg had fitted into the right slot yes. as well. It's a combination of both of those yes. together first. Yeah. Okay. Because I think uh, I'm someone who really likes, I, I'm a very organized person. Uh, my boyfriend would laugh at that because our bedroom's a mess. But in other areas of my life, I'm a very organized person. Um, and I really do like, I like putting an order in things. I like a good spreadsheet. And it's a weird thing when you're an actor because the one thing you can never really achieve is perfection. You can't. But you say that. I've, I've been told sometimes. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Obviously, Angus has. <laughs> uh, but but that really that was something I really struggled with as an actor because I would come off the stage and I was the kind of actor who'd come off the stage and be like, I messed up that line. And it might be one line. It might be one beat that I missed. And I would beat myself up over it. Right. And, and in a weird way, when you go into another area, when you're sitting doing spreadsheets and you're doing numbers and you're like, oh, there's, a, there's an answer. If I do this correctly, there's an answer. And it will balance. And it will balance and I can walk out of this building going, I did my job today. And I really enjoyed that. So you're right. The anxiety being a kind of an occupational hazard, but um, it most certainly suited my personality more to facilitate and be around, but not actually be in the midst of it. It suited me much better. How long did you spend at the O'Reilly then? And what were the standout moments for you there? Um, I did two years at the O'Reilly. Um, Laura McNaughton, who's the venue manager there and the business manager, taught me so much. I learned so much from her. Um, standouts, I, I mean, what was interesting about the O'Reilly is it's a receiving house. So uh, we, I was kind of learning a lot about venue management that doesn't necessarily apply to what I'm doing now, but there's lots of transferable skills within that. But we were there for the theatre festival with The Last Hotel. We were there for the theatre festival with Loch Nahala, Swan Lake. I was there for a dumb dance festival um, when Petrophonite was there. Like, there were amazing shows coming in. And that was really exciting. But I, I learned a huge amount, a huge amount. And was there anything about it that surprised you? Um, yeah, I suppose what, what was interesting was when you're working in a venue, you're very often meeting people, you're meeting theatre people at their most stressful stage. Of course. You meet them in tech week. That's never occurred to me before. It's really bizarre. So like people who are probably really lovely in rehearsals are suddenly like, wow, what's, where's the stuff I need? Which is understandable because it's tech week. But it is weird because you meet them at that stage and then the show opens. And I, I did, I suppose the, the, the thing I didn't like about working in a venue was you're you're you feel involved in the show you're rooting for them and then it opens but you're not necessarily involved in uh, the creation of it yeah. if you're receiving houses different obviously with production houses but um and i suppose that was a little bit of information for me as well because i was like oh i do miss that i do miss kind of being a cog in a wheel and seeing yeah. it in its place which is something that kind of I, I will get now in Rough Magic, but but didn't get working in a venue. But I learned a huge amount. I feel like I'm not answering your questions. It's like you, you answer, answer you ask me a question, and I ramble, and then I'm like, what did Angus ask me? Listen, my questions are always really inane. Don't worry, you're really, you're really interesting. Just keep talking, it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> you and I might think that. I feel like anyway, go on. No fine. one else is going to think the, that. The thousands and thousands who are listening in. The millions of I, listeners. It's not millions. It is thousands actually at this stage. Really? Yeah, genuinely. That's really impressive. Yeah, kind Yay. of. Um, tell me this. 
when did the jump to Rough Magic mm-hmm. happen? So that happened last summer. I was producing a show for the Fringe Festival called The Shitstorm. I thought I was going to have you. I'm so <laughs> angry about this. <laughs> what? So, because, okay, the... The main deficit in Irish theatre yeah. is independent producers. So you get Matt Smith pops up on the scene, instantly gets swallowed up. Jane Coppinger appears yeah. on the scene, instantly gets swallowed up. Like, everyone just disappears. And suddenly, <laughs> you had half an inclination that maybe a bit of freelance producing was yeah. going to happen. So, excellent, I'm going to grab a Four Eyes Productions, <laughs> I will be with my friend forever, and everything will be wonderful. And two days after you told me, well, I'm looking at maybe a bit of yeah. freelance stuff, I then meet you again and go, Reeves, I was meaning to talk to you. Like, yeah, I've got the rough magic kit. <laughs> It was bizarre. It it, it followed it followed a, a, a kind of a passion I have of being uh, hired for jobs I'm grossly underqualified for. Shh, not out loud. People oh, shit. Yeah, Lynn Parker is downstairs. <laughs> I she literally is. Yeah, I really shouldn't have said that. Um, no, perfectly qualified for. Adequately qualified <laughs> for. Maybe not overly. Adequately. Okay, so you're producing this fringe show, mm-hmm. and what happens? So I went for the general manager job in Rough Magic genuinely thinking I wouldn't get it and I know people say that but I really didn't think I would get it but I thought I wanted because I had worked with Lynn and, and Lynn actually Lynn has kind of played very significant roles in my career um, she directed the first show I was on stage for she directed the last show I was on stage for so she has bookended my acting career um, and I also really like her so I wanted to go in and meet Lynn and kind of show them where I was at kind of establish myself not as an actor um, and so that maybe three or four years down the road. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. If something else came up. Um, and also, like, I haven't done many interviews in my life because when you're an actor, auditions are very different. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'll get experience doing an interview. And I got the job. So so it, it was bizarre. It was this mad time where um, I was finishing up in the O'Reilly and Shitstorm was opening in Fringe. And then I started here on the that Monday. That, of course, being the title of the play rather than a description of the play. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so... <laughs> Were, so then, being definitely qualified for it, uh, uh, were you surprised, delighted, terrified? Delighted. Okay. Delighted. Um, I, it's it's funny because it's a company that has meant a lot to me, and I'm not just saying that because I'm here. It has meant a lot to me, and the last two shows I did were Rough Magic shows. I did Importance Being Earnest and then Phaedra. Um, and, and I wanted so badly to kind of take that extra step closer because... I was felt a little bit on the outside because, as I said, in a venue, it's, it's just slightly different. Yeah. Um, and suddenly to be kind of, it felt like coming home, cliche, felt like coming home and it felt like I'd come back to my family. Um, and, and it kind of also kicked off me really going to see theatre again, really feeling involved again. Because you start kind of getting, I think I got to know the younger community of theatre makers that I hadn't. Um, especially with seeds, yeah, with, with seeds in particular, and so my interest in seeing their work and supporting their work, and it just it all felt like it felt like a good fit. That's not to say there wasn't terror at you know having a job responsibility I hadn't had before, um, but it felt like coming home. But also, there's something in a company as um, as important mm-hmm. as Rough Magic that have the track record that they have, yeah. but also. That you feel this is a constant potential for really excitement, new stuff and innovation yeah. still to come. But it's it's also it's a company that's really it really kind of a, appreciates regeneration. Like it's kind of in the DNA of the company yeah. actually that it regenerates, especially with the seeds program. But also because of the way Lynn works. Like Lynn has such a sense of company, and that's something that I really felt working with them as an actor, and I feel it now in the company. Um, it's very collaborative. 
And like when I came in, my only fear was I thought, you know, with general manager, I'm going to be doing a lot of like financial management and operations. And my only fear was I was like, am I going to be sitting in a corner doing budgets while everyone else is off making plays? And Lynn just doesn't work like that. So, so I believe. Oh, it's, had from a couple of people. It's amazing, you know. Like we're here, and like Ronan Phelan, our associate director, and and uh, Selena O'Reilly, our company producer. Like the conversation is with everyone. The conversation is open with everyone. Everyone's opinion is listened to, is heard. There's no sense of like that's your job description. So that's all you're going to do. So like I feel like I'm getting to touch lots of bases that I I didn't think I would get to, and it just it just has a sense of of community and ensemble that that it's it's quite unique i think to rough magic um how excited are you by the potential for what you can do here then and are you allowed to tell mm. us about any of the things that might go and look to i can i am um, i can i mean we we're not this is some of this is exclusive oh man and oh, man. Um, we have announced that we are doing a midsummer night's dream this summer in kilkenny arts festival Excellent. and what's really exciting is we're doing it open air we're doing it in the Castle Yard, and it's the first time Rough Magic has done open-air theatre, so okay. it's something new for the company. Um, but it's also being designed for Kilkenny Arts Festival, so it will be site-specific. Now, not necessarily, I don't mean promenade, but it will be sure. built for the space yeah. the audience are going to see it. Um, but what's really cool is we're doing it with an ensemble of actors and a creative team who we are going to work with uh, for about four months. So wow. doing Midsummer Night's Dream with, the sa- with four men and four women, um, and then we are doing, we have a week in between the end of Kilkenny and the start of rehearsals for A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, new adaptation by Arthur Reardon. So that goes into rehearsals and we're going to be playing at the Pavilion in Dunleary in October. Fantastic. And then, and this is the exclusive. Oh, here we go. It's an exclusive. Uh, then we're touring, we're touring the country. We're going everywhere. Really? Yeah, we're going from like Cork up to Letterkenny to Galway to Waterford to, yeah, Port Leash. we're everywhere. Fantastic. With Portrait of the Artist, with the same company who did Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, so that's a real through line. Then, it's a real yeah. through line. So it's not in rep, but it is ensemble in okay. that the same team will carry on. So they will be working together from July till November. Wow. And the same design team as well. So the same design team. So it's, it's a creative ensemble as opposed to just an acting ensemble. That's kind of a fascinating approach. Yeah. Really it's, exciting too. Yeah, it's something Lynn has wanted to do for a long time because it's kind of returned to the original ethos of the company. Of course, yeah. Um, and it also, I just think it'll be, yield really interesting things to have a group of actors working together for that amount of time. Um, and I think the plays, the plays will speak to each other in some ways, um, not necessarily an aesthetic because we want to do very different things sure. with the two shows, but the way we're looking at it is we're doing Joyce and we're doing Shakespeare as these two architects of the English language. Yeah. And that's something, again, that is a very rough magic interest is text. And doing classics in a modern way, I think, is is the approach. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be really exciting. And I'm they're my first, because when I started, we had just gone into Dublin Theatre Festival, sure. but I hadn't been there for production. I was here for the Seeds Showcase of Mr. Burns, which was really brilliant. That kind of exploded and went crazy. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant production, a brilliant play. Yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah. And uh, so this will be the first time I'm here beginning, middle end. Oh, that's fantastic. I hope. Cross <laughs> <laughs> yeah. our fingers, crossed. yeah. <laughs> um, having had as diverse an experience in the business mm-hmm. as you have, from sitting on the chair in the wings of the Gaily Panto, through to starring in leading roles yeah. on the Abbey stage, through to now being behind the scenes making magic happen here, what do you think of Irish theatre? <laughs> That's not a massive question. Um, I love Irish theatre. Um, it is very embedded in my sense of 
of my family. So I think I'm probably the most biased person in the world about Irish theatre. Um, but the more I see, the more enthused I am about what people are doing. I'm really excited about the kind of next generation, um, the more I see. And I I mean, I love it. I feel like I can't talk, I can't talk about it objectively, as I'm sure you can't yeah. either, because it, it is it is very linked to my relationship with my mother, it is very linked to my childhood. And it has been my, it really has been my my home and my life for the last couple of years and yeah. I, I missed it terribly so I'm glad I'm back. Um, it is fantastic. Gemma Reeves, you are my favourite person in the world. Oh, I thanks, thanks. You say that to you. every really guest on the no, podcast. You're, you're the real favourite. I got the real Absolutely. Nice. Big um, thank you so much for coming <laughs> Thank you so chance. much. This wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Oh, good. I'm pleased. Yes, I was the most reluctant person in the world. Yeah. Angus, yeah. I'll, I'll take the handcuffs off and we finish. Yeah. Yay. Great. Thanks. So there you have it, the fantastic Gemma Reeves, just someone I have so much time for, such a great amount of admiration for. I think she's an incredibly interesting character in the business, a wonderful human being, a phenomenally gifted actress, and now a really talented administrator. And I think it's a really refreshing insight into the realities of the business, I guess people's drives within the business, and and finding your spot within the business, finding what works for you and finding a way through it. Uh, I love Gemma to bits. She's the best in the world. I hope you enjoy that conversation. For me, it has been one of the absolute highlights of this second series. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, they have the rehearsal, Playing the Dane, starring my pal Connor Madden. At the Gate Theatre, down the other end of O'Connell Street, it's Assassins, featuring the great Kate Gilmore, and of course, Rise Productions regular Rachel O'Byrne. At the Board Gosh Energy Theatre, it's Titanic the Musical, uh... At the Borgosh Energy Theatre, it's Son of a Preacher Man, and that is followed by An Officer and a Gentleman. At the Mermaid and Bray, coming up soon, it's none other than Rise Productions with The Good Father. Do go and book your tickets for Bray. Uh, at Theatre Upstairs, they have I See You by Amy Darun, starring Roxana Nicolium. And at the New Theatre, it's Down and Out in Paris and London from the brilliant Phelan Drew. Smock Alley still has a load of stuff on for the Literary Festival at the moment. That's worth checking out. At the Civic Theatre in Tala, it's ourselves, Rise Productions with The Good Father, up until Saturday evening. At the Viking out in Clontarf, Under the Bed is still running there. And at the Dolman out in Cornell's Court, it's the Watchman. At Bewley's Cafe Theatre, in their lunchtime slot, they have My Fair Ladies from the phenomenal Des Kyo, and that'll be followed by Molly. Uh, at Project Art Centre, it's My Son, My Son, with the ever-awesome Lauren Larkin. Uh, heading down south to the Everyman in Cork, it's the Good Father from Rise Productions. We're coming down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Really looking forward to getting back down to Rebel County. And then over at St. John's in Listow, as part of the festival for uh, the Writers' Week down there. It's ourselves with the Good Father again. Uh, that's going to be a special one. It's Christian's hometown, so bringing Christian's great play back to uh, to his people, I think, uh, will be a phenomenal experience. Then, as we go to the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have Autumn Royal, and up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it's The Sword in the Sand, and also Lovers from the ever-brilliant Brian Friel. So look, that is us. That is episode 29 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Bye.